Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. We'll talk allowances with Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling on the podcast. Doug Brown and what the Bombers do now. And Corny Bandman on his championship pumpkin. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now the podcast. It's a U.S. survey, but a survey says two-thirds of parents give kids allowance. And the average is $30 a week. Just a few years ago, it was 17 bucks. I got a text here from a listener, 204-780-6868. How my kids get a buck for each year. So the listener's 14-year-old gets $14 a week just for being a good kid. If she wants more... Then let's talk and let's negotiate. And actually, an expert, his name is John Lanza, author of The Art of Allowance, says that's the way to do it. A buck for every year. So if you've got a five-year-old, they get five bucks. Ten-year-old gets ten bucks. And so on and so on. Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling joins us on the phone here. Normally, she's here 2.30 to 3 every Thursday in studio, but once in a while, she jumps on when there's something like this uh, to talk about. Carolyn, good afternoon. Hey, Al. How are you? Good. Thanks for doing this. So, uh, again, this is a U.S. Uh, a survey. Were you surprised at, at 30 bucks a week as the average? I was, and actually I, I uh, you know, pulled people around the office here about that number, and they were kind of surprised too. It seemed high. I don't know if the numbers are lower on Canadian, in Canadian dollars or in Canadian culture, or if we at Connexus Counseling are just fairly cheap. Yeah, I talked around the office here too, around the newsroom, and, and most people thought that was uh, a lot. But I like the idea of a buck for every year. That makes sense to me. Well, I think it's a recognition that older children may have different sorts of expenses and also an increased, um, you know, desire to spend money. Like, they, you know, you go out with your friends as you get older. And then the other is that they have, as they're growing closer to adulthood, there's more of a need to have uh, adolescents figure out how to manage money and how to handle and where to, how to prioritize and all those sorts of things that we have to do as adults with money that children need an ability to start being able to do that with their funds. And so uh, it's, an, it's a really easy, helpful um, measure by which we can um, start figuring out how much we can help kids out with uh, finances. Right. 80% in this survey, 80% of parents say the allowance is tied to household chores. Three quarters of the people that responded to this survey said the main reason is to give kids um, the allowance is to teach them the value of money and financial responsibility. Do you agree, though, that this is a good idea, an allowance is a good idea, and then should it be tied to chores? So I think an allowance is a great idea because I think how are kids supposed to start understanding and appreciating the value of money unless they have some and they have to figure out what they're going to do with it. And I think it's helpful to start having them teach. In in our house, we divide, you know, we haven't had discussions about what happens with allowance and we've encouraged, you know, three pots where it goes to, one where you give to charity or to um, people who have less than we do and then there's long-term savings and immediate fund money. 
Um, and so you can have those discussions once they start having some money. Um, I have some concerns about tying it to chores because, uh, quite frankly, I have a day job and I go home and I do chores and nobody pays me for chores around the house. Um, we do chores around the house, all of us, because we belong to a family and we run a household together. And so I, I feel like there's some danger in linking chores to allowance because it feels like they're getting paid. And I feel like making your bed and emptying out the dishwasher and all those other raking the leaves and all those sorts of things, people should do those. Kids need to participate because they're members of the household. And there's this, well, then I don't, I'm not going to help out because I don't feel like getting my allowance this week. I don't think that's an option. If you're a member of a household, then we pitch in together and we work together because that's how a household works. Yeah, I think you make a strong, argu- uh, a strong argument there. Now, one other question I have for you. So say the kid gets, let's just say, 10 bucks a week. Um, and, and they do, you know, we, uh, I don't know, is grounding even a thing anymore? Should we ground kids as parents? I don't know. And, and I guess my question is, my final question is if they're getting 10 bucks a week and they do something wrong, they're bad, whatever, do we take some of it or all of it away? Well, and, and then, then you start using, um, allowance as a bargaining chip. Um, and I think you, as parents, you have to figure out, um, what motivates a kid and how to have a child understand that their behavior has implications on the household. And uh, I think it's a pretty serious choice. And um, when, you, when you say that we're, you're going to do that um, or we're going to reduce your allowance if we don't see certain behaviors, I think that's a choice that some parents need to make. But the challenge is, is when you might say that, that you actually follow through on that because sometimes that's where we, we make those threats and we don't follow through on them. And then parent, kids learn that they can exploit their parents and, and you kind of lose some trust in that relationship. And so if you're going to say, if we don't see certain behaviors, we're going to reduce your allowance, you need to really be prepared to follow through on that and then to follow through on the implications because now, you know, Friday night when everybody else has money to go for a movie and your child doesn't, um, they're going to be, that's a whole other conversation to have then how Friday after school, right? And those are hard, painful discussions that you need to have. But if you know in advance that you might give in, you have to think pretty hard ahead of time whether it's fair to use that as a threat. Carolyn, thanks a lot. I know you got to go. We'll talk to you on Thursday, okay? Take care. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye. Carolyn Klassen, Conexus Counseling, ConnexusCounseling.ca. You know, I almost didn't want to talk about the Bombers today, but we got to. We have to talk about the bomber. So let's bring in former bomber, uh, bomber, well, bomber, yes. <laughs> let's bring in former bomber, great, number 97, Big Bird, Doug Brown. Hi, Doug. Hey, buddy. I thought you were going to segue to me by saying, speaking of Big Pumpkin, <laughs> here's a Big Bird. Well, I could have done that. That would have been yeah. good. That would have been great. Yeah. See, you should be doing. Uh, you should be doing more radio, man. That's what you need to do. You you've got it all figured out. Figure out what's going. Figure out what's going on with the bombers here for us, man. I was I was reading some of your tweets. Uh, well, go. I just to tell me. I said a couple things earlier. Tell me your thoughts. Well, I think uh, we finally got a response game from the defense. Um, uh, we saw them play uh, complementary within the defense themselves. So they got really aggressive up front. Um, I haven't seen them call that many attacking uh, plays where they're adding to the rush outside of their standard four-man personnel in front. Uh, they blitzed, I would say, more than 50% of the plays. 
And a compliment to that was the secondary playing real aggressive on the back end. They finally got on the same page in the sense that they're trusting their rush to get home. So they were playing guys really tight, really aggressively on the back end. Because you don't have to cover for that long when you have, when you're bringing pressure, you got free rushers. When guys are getting home, they sacked Cody Fajardo some four times. So really the only, I mean, this is a game the Winnipeg Blue Bombers did not have a business, have any business being in outside of the performance of their defense. Well, it wasn't not for that defense and, uh, you know, the fact that they were so smothering and limiting, this would have been a blowout. And it wasn't until, you know, past the midway point of the third quarter where things got away a little bit of that defense, but you can't expect them to uh, to uh, keep that blanket on top of this rider offense for so long. Right. So, it was an inevitable to happen. I thought it was a great response game for them, but unfortunately, if they're trending upwards, the offense is trending in the opposite direction. Yeah, and why do you think that is? Uh, because I felt like Chris Trebler had been improving, and boy, this it seemed like a, a, a setback game for him. Yeah, you know, um, he didn't seem to have the same pop or snap in his uh, scrambling and in his running. And I think... He's so focused now on being something in a quarterback that he's not. I think everything is just is is it's too much for him. I think it's overwhelming. I think he's back there trying to be the quarterback of this offense, but he doesn't really have that same skill set or, or tools um, to to run these plays and and to be. He's not another Matt Nichols, mm. and uh, so he's a round peg. This offense is a square hole and. You almost see him just back there, and you know it's not natural, the, the, the process he's going through. That's just not what he uh, thrives off of. Uh, they're trying to make turn him into a pocket passer, and now he's hesitating. Whereas before, we would just see him, if something wasn't there, if his first read wasn't there, boom, he was tucking it and taking it off. And now he's trying to prolong. He's kind of learning on the go, but unfortunately it's in a regular season game. And at this point in the season, defenses will take advantage of the fact if you're not just making decisive, instinctual calls and plays out there as a quarterback, they're going to eat you alive. And and he's a guy that literally, as a quarterback, has an identity crisis right now. He has his strengths. uh, He knows what he's good at. But the plays he's being asked to run, the things he's being asked to do, don't come natural to him, and it's causing things to get a, a, a little mucked up in terms of offensive execution. And I think things are just snowballing. Obviously, we saw two picks that game, one fumble. Uh, he could have had one or two more picks as well. He got lucky a couple times the Riders dropped the ball. Yeah, I think I think you, you nailed it. I think that was very well said. But now the question is, what do we do now? What do we do about it? Yeah, and you know this is uh, this is a real head scratchers because you'd be like, okay, who's the second string guy? But you know, the second string guy, Sean McGuire, is a guy that hasn't he might have impressed in the in the preseason and in the, in practices, but he hasn't thrown a football yet. So this is where not having a veteran backup is really coming back to right. bite them. Yeah, because um, if you know, I'm all for there's three games left in this season. If Strebler can win three of those or even two out of three, I'd be the first guy to vote giving him the start in the playoff game. But if he can't, this football team needs a plan B. And as of right now, they don't have a plan B at the most important position on the football field, and that is quarterback. They can say to their blue in the face how they feel about Sean McGuire, but 
that's not a viable plan, putting a guy in with zero experience at the most critical position on the field. I went through that firsthand in 2007 when Ryan Dimwitty got his first start in the Grey Cup. Right. That just doesn't work out very well, you know? So yeah. I, I think that's important, especially to get a guy. I mean, I wrote a column a long time ago, Hal, that I got roasted about saying that I don't necessarily think Chris Strebler is a good number two because he's not at all like Nichols, and Nichols is what this offense is designed around. Right. I said I think he's a great short yardage guy, a great change of of pace and change up pitcher kind of guy. But I don't think he was. I said I think he was a great number two because he can't step in when your starter goes down and do things seamlessly the way Matt Nichols is doing. He's he's a completely different guy. So uh, this is coming back to bite them right now, and uh, with essentially four or five weeks before the playoffs, there really is no excuse to not get a veteran passer into this program and learning that playbook because they need a plan B desperately. So here's the problem, though, because whenever I say that, I mean, when when we first lost Matt again, I said, you know, what about a, a, back, a veteran uh, guy that's going to – and the answer always was whoever I talked to said, well, there's nobody out there. So is there anybody out there, Doug, or, or not? Well, the problem has been not that there's not anybody out there. They just don't want to pay for it. Well, not even that. The Bombers have been offering a third-string quarterback position. And if you're a veteran like a, like a Kevin Glenn or a Drew Willie or any of these guys that are much have a skill set much more alike to Matt Nichols than Chris Strebler does, these guys don't want to join your team just to sit on the bench and be the third-string guy. They want the potential opportunity to lead this football team and have another run had some playoff success, mm-hmm. but the Bombers have just every indication I've heard. They refuse to change their depth chart in terms of having Sean McGuire be the number two guy. They're not going to drop him down to number three, which blows my mind because you would have an opportunity to bring in some veteran uh, uh, quarterbacks if they, you know, if there, if there was something and, in it, if, if there was something yeah. in it for them. Yeah, exactly. It's not just about money. It's about opportunity as well. And it is my understanding that the depth chart at the quarterback position is not flexible right now. Hmm. One and two apparently are are set in stone. So you don't bring a 15-year in vet uh, to to be the third guy on the bench. He should be the guy that goes in if Chris Strebler can't get it done at this point. Right. I wonder, though, if that thought is, if that way of thinking is changing or if it hasn't changed yet, how many more games like that before it might change? But then maybe it's too late, right? Yeah. I mean, time is ticking. If you're talking about uh, active players in the CFL, I believe the, the trade deadline is like Wednesday of this week. And uh, so, so obviously that's getting away, but you don't want to have a realization too late. I mean, this is the most important position on the football field. It's the quarterback, the guy that touches the ball every single snap. And to just hope that Chris Strebler and or Sean McGuire, who hasn't played, are going to turn a corner and get it done, you know, that's not a real bulletproof. I'd rather have a plan, and, and they need a solid plan B in terms of anybody with experience that could just come in, step into this offense, and distribute the football because we end, the potential's there. We know this right. offense can score points, yeah. but the, the blueprint is out on how to stop Strebler right now, and it doesn't appear to be going well trying to turn this square peg, uh, change him into a round hole because he's just not uh, hes not grasping it right now. Yeah. Appreciate your help on this, Doug. Thanks a lot. Hey, man. Always great talking to you. All right. There he goes. Doug Brown, number 97, Big Bird. 
One little pumpkin smiling, smiling. One little pumpkin smiling, smiling. One little pumpkin smiling, smiling. One little pumpkin is happy. Well, I'll tell you what, it was not a little pump, by the way. One of my favorite kids' songs right there. <laughs> Uh, it was not a little pumpkin, but I'll tell you who is. You like that count? So I'll tell you. It's just ridiculous. I know. I know. Well, that's me. Uh, but you know who is smiling about his great big pumpkin is Corny Banman from the Winkler area. He won the Roland Pumpkin Fair on Saturday. Uh, Corny, congratulations. God, thank you. One thousand six hundred and sixty and a half pounds. Wow. Yeah, it took a while to get there, but uh, now it was finally my turn. <laughs> finally, your turn because your brother's won a your brother Henry has won several times, and I guess this year it was your turn. Uh, yeah, nobody else had luck this year, and I had finally luck after it warmed up. The second place pumpkin wasn't even close. It was over 300, almost 350 pounds off yours. And I kept hearing that it was tough on the pumpkins this year, that it probably wasn't going to be a big pumpkin. Um, it's, uh, it didn't break a record, but it's a big pumpkin. So how did you do it? Well, I put them in the garden in the uh, beginning of June, and then they were, no, beginning of May, and then they were standing there, and I was about to till them under, and my wife convinced me that uh, uh, just leave them in, see what happens. And then all of a sudden, July 10th, I could pollinate it, and then it took off uh, very well and let the water. You were going to plow it under, and it's the championship pumpkin from the Roland Pumpkin Fair. Yeah, beginning of the year, it was a disappointing to see the plant all yellow and everything. Uh, I figured it wouldn't do nothing anyways. And you mentioned the watering because I've been told before that's key. How much water do you think you put on this pumpkin? Uh, I think I put on about 25,000 gallons. Well, uh, on all four, I had four plants. <laughs> 25,000 gallons of water on that pumpkin? On, uh, on those four plants, yep. Yeah. Wow. So that would be about uh, 6,000 uh, gallons per plant. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of water. Now, you're you're farming near Winkler, right? Uh, I I have a meat shop. I'm sorry? I, I have a meat shop, and then this is what I do on the side in the garden, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. But my point was going to be that you're not paying for your water. You're getting the water from a well. Here in Winnipeg, you could never be a championship pumpkin grower because we'd go broke. Uh, no, I uh, actually have town water. You have town water. So what would your water bill be like? I haven't gotten the bill yet. (laughs) 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 I want to know what your bill is, Corny. When you get that bill, will you please call and tell me how much your, your water bill is? Sure. That's fantastic. Well, listen, I wanted to have you on for a couple of minutes. Congratulations. Well, thanks. Corny Bandman grew the championship pumpkin at the Roland Pumpkin Fair this year. 1,660 and a half pounds. And he almost tilled it under. Almost plowed it under. But he thought, ah, I'll give it a shot. His wife wanted him to to give it a shot. That's excellent. Fantastic. I love stuff like that. 
Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.